Hey there, and welcome to... We are friends of Brother Adam. I'm your host, Dennis. Uh, we're talking about bee talk and life mixed in. Uh, today I have a small ebook that I'm going to be reading you guys. Um, I'm excited about this ebook and I can't wait to jump into it. However, uh, before we do that, we need to pay some bills here. We have an advertisement for a company. This is Fat Bee Honey Ranch. We are located north of Cypress Hills in Irvine, Alberta, Canada, and we have colonies which are located south and east of us, but just north of the parks. We decided on our name because of the iconic parks. We were originally Cypress Hills Honey Company. However, we have a, a sister company who is Cypress Hills Honey Farms, and they are located in Saskatchewan, just right across the border from us. And we decided to change our name to Fat Bee Honey Ranch because of the respect that we have for uh, that particular beekeeper. Um, we, uh, we live close to the park, but we don't have hives actually in the park. And naming our, our company as we did, um, We've heard other vendors say that their honey comes directly from the park um, to help their sales. However, that is not our claim. We just like the name and we are a fairly new business and we are excited to offer um, honey and uh, bee, um, bee seeds that, are, that don't actually grow bees but it's uh, for pollination and for uh, nectar. Um, the seeds is a special mix. So you can pick up our honey in uh, one of two locations right now. First is at the Walsh Trailside gas station and, and the other one is at Blondie's Greenhouse. We also on request rescue bee swarms. We also do rat wasp eradication and for each of those there is a, a minor charge. Um, our company has been featured at UFA Country in the City, Medicine Hat Stampede, as well as several trade shows. Um, we have yet to secure our own personal storefront, however services and products are available by request only at this time. And on to the ebook. Um, we're going to be reading uh, from Bait Highs for Honeybees. Um, it is from a Cornell Cooperative Extension publication by Thomas D. Seeley, Roger A. Morris, and Richard No. Ogrodisky. <laughs> wow. Um, so in most parts of the United States, many colonies of bees live in a hollow tree and in buildings. They are descendants of bees that escape from beekeepers' hives and reverted to natural nests like those in remote of their remote ancestors by using special hives called bait hives 
or bait boxes, beekeepers may harvest swarms that issue from these or other colonies. An understanding of how swarms choose their nest site helps us design and stimulate bait hives to make them more likely to attract swarms. Observing the way that swarm selects and builds a new nest can provide important background information for successful pursuing of the art of beekeeping. In many areas, the number of bee colonies in trees and buildings probably exceeds the number in human-made hives. All of these colonies have chosen their homes by studying naturally selected nests and experimenting with various types of hives. We have developed bait hives recommendations for beekeepers. In Ithaca area, of central New York State, we have captured swarms and 80% of bait hives we set out in good years. Nearly 100 swarms in some years. In our poorest year, fewer than 20% of the bait hives were occupied. Capturing swarms can be an easy and expensive way to begin beekeeping. However, a newly captured swarm, like a newly installed package of bees, rarely produces a surplus of honey for the beekeeper in that first year. In fact, swarm captured late in the season may need supplemental feeding to survive the winter. When a colony of honeybees comes, becomes large, it divides into two units. About 30 to 70% of the bees remain in the parent colony. The rest leave as a swarm. The bees in the swarm are predominantly workers, but a small fraction may be drones, males. Typically, each swarm has one queen, usually the old one from the parent colony, who is the mother of all bees in the particular colony. Some Prosperous colonies cast more swarms in the days following the departure from their first primary swarm. Each after swarm includes one or more young virgin queens. We estimate that colonies in trees and buildings cast swarms nine years out of ten. Those managed by beekeepers cast, cast less frequently. The number of bees in a swarm varies greatly from about 2,000 to more than 50,000. The swarms with the lowest populations are probably after swarms, which tend to be much smaller than primary swarms. Very large swarms probably result from two or more swarms becoming confused and joining. Other factors affect swarm size, such as volume in the nest cavity, which or because a colony casts a swarm when it, its residence has become congested, colonies in small hives tend to swarm more frequently than those in large hives, with fewer bees per swarm. Swarm populations average 10,000 to 12,000 bees. About the number in a three-pound package of bees, swarm or package bees weighed three pounds installed in a hive in the spring is considered a good starting unit for a beekeeper. A swarm contains bees of all ages, thus even the day a swarm is hived, the population declines due to the natural death rate. For the beekeeper, it is important that the queen begin to lay eggs and make possible replacement bees as soon as possible. A period of 21 days is required to grow a worker bee from egg to adult. Adult workers typically live only four to six weeks during the summer, thus a swarm is fairly frail unit. In fact, 
80% of swarms that move into natural nests fail to survive the first winter. Even the best beekeepers lose some colonies throughout the year, particularly during the winter. Good beekeeping involves reducing losses and to an acceptable level. When does swarming occur? Successful use of bait hives, especially Timely harvesting requires knowing when swarming is most likely to occur in one's area. In central New York State, 80% of swarming takes place between May 15th and July 15th. Nearly 20% takes place between August 15th and September 15th. The remainder, only 1-2%, to occurs between mid-July and mid-August. A similar pattern is presumably holds in the rest of the United States except that swarming starts earlier towards the south. Swarming in Maryland starts in April, for example, and in Florida late February or March. For New York, we recommend capturing and hiving spring swarms only. Late and fall, late summer and fall swarms require too much feeding and other attention and won't be worthwhile and may even not survive the winter. In general, a honeybee colony swarm only if the bees are relatively congested during the swarming season. This means that the colonies that swarm tend to be those with populations that build up the fastest. Thus, the timing of spring swarming is closely tied to the speed of colony buildup. Population growth is affected by various factors, including variability of food and the ease with which the colony can control its hive environment. For example, colonies with Damp bottom boards have more difficulty controlling the temperature for rearing the brood. The age of the queen, young queens generally lay more eggs than old queen, and the presence or absence of disease. The amount of space available also contributes to crowding when the bees select their own nests. They prefer cavities smaller than the hives that they are generally used for bee husbandry. The small nests tend to encourage swarming, as shown in figure 1. Only three of the more than 200 swarms we observed emerged before May 15th. Two of these were cast in different years from the same bee tree at a low elevation on a hill west of Ithaca. The fact that the swarming in this spot occurred exceptionally early indicates the importance of microclimate for honeybees. Microclimate should be considered carefully when selecting sites for apiaries. The more favorable the conditions, the more likely the colonies will grow rap rapidly and prosper. For a natural unmanaged colony, this can mean more swarming or swarming earlier in the season. For the beekeeper, it can translate into greater honey production. The departure of a swarm from its parent colony may take only 5 to 10 minutes, but noticeable preparations begin up to 10 days in advance. For example, colonies send out scout bees to search for new home sites several days before the entire swarm issues. Searching scouts can be seen flying up and down tree trunks, investigating knot holes and other openings. In central New York, the search for home sites may begin as early as the first week in May, so bait hives should be in place before then. During this period of preparation, in many workers, the fair or the four pairs of wax glands on the underside of the abdomen go through development, thus the bees in a swarm are primed to build new comb rapidly. A beekeeper can take advantage of this and use new swarms to draw 
good combs from foundation. Bait hives should be inspected and harvested frequently because within weeks of occupying a new home, the swarm can make a great quantity of fragile new comb. This may make moving full bait hives difficult as overheating may cause the comb to melt or undue jarring may break the comb and kill the bees. Other swarm preparations are made by colony. The queen cells are built and provisioned. The queen lays the eggs in them, particularly by the time a primary swarm issues forth. The cells are capped, which means the developing queens are in the late stage of larval or pupal stage. The old queen loses up to one third of her weight in the weeks before the swarm departure, which enables her to fly with the swarm. There is a division of labor in honey bee colony. Individual bees specialize in different tasks. For example, the food gathering is done by the older workers. Among these are a small fraction, 5% probably is typical, act as food scouts. They find new patches of flowers, then recruit other workers to collect the nectar and pollen. The recruits rarely, if ever, explore for new food sources on their own, relying on instead on information from the scouts. At swarming time, scout bees, presumably the same ones that function as food scouts, seek out and evaluate new nest sites. In experiments aimed at learning which nest characteristics are important and what the scouts prefer, we offer bees specially built bait hives, especially cubes shaped in pairs within each pair hives differed only in one respect. For each pair we recorded uh, which hives were chosen by a swarm. Results of choice tests for many swarms yielded 12 recommendations for bait hive design. See box. Some factors remain to be researched. Bait hives that meet all the criteria are passed up by some swarms for unknown reasons. The color of the hive exterior appears to be unimportant except that darker boxes may overheat in hot climates unless they are fully shaded. Colors that provide some camouflage reduce human vandalism without discouraging the bees. The boxes pictured in this bulletin were made by uh, 5 8 inch thick plywood but other materials can be used. Both sturdy cardboard boxes and lightweight molded paper mache plant pots available from nurseries have been successfully used in areas with dry climates. <clears throat> a bait hive attracts scout bees and a swarm only if built properly, so be sure to follow the recommendations listed in the box at the left. The dimensions of the wooden boxes used in our research are shown in figure 3. We used only cubes after data indicated the shape of the hive is not important. The box should be built so that it can be opened easily and examine the nest. A removable top makes transferring bees into a permanent hive much easier. An excellent approach is to nail the top and bottom to a standard Langstroth body, often called a super, and use it as a bait hive. The top would be easier to remove if the nail heads were slightly left slightly exposed rather than driven in flush with the wood. The bait hive must have a projecting piece of wood, some type of hanger so that it may be fastened to a tree and later removed. It is frustrating to find that a box has fallen to the ground because of poor nailing to, or to struggle with removing a box from a tree because it was nailed in place too securely. Also a nail or piece of wire mesh across the entrance hole prevents birds from nesting in the bait hives. 
while maintaining free access to the bees. Dryness and snugness are not, or excuse me, are very important to prevent any light or water from entering from the upper portion of the nest. All cracks must be sealed. Duct tape works well for this. Success in using bait hives depends on proper site selection. A good location for a bait hive is about 15 feet above ground, highly visible to maximize the likelihood of discovery by scouts, and fully shaded. Figure four shows a tree well located hives picture on page two illustrates an ideal site in Kenya, East Africa, where bait hives have been used for centuries. Even the most carefully chosen location may be ignored or rejected by bees. Inducing scouts and then swarms to enter the bait hives is only the first step. We have observed swarms moving into bait hives only to reject them an hour or day later. Overheating and the hive seems to be a contributing factor. Once the bees have built combs and the brood However, they rarely abandon the new home. In our experience, leaving, leaving bait hives in place to overwinter is a poor practice. Very few colonies survive. Although they have, we have no data, we believe that a bait hive is not as protected as tree cavities and that winter death rate of the colonies left in bait hives is much higher than normal, 15 to 20% loss of established colonies in tree holes, but may not be significantly higher than 80% mortality of colonies in bee trees during their first year after moving in as a swarm. Bait hives should be checked frequently both to obtain data about where they were occupied and to pick up the bees. It is much easier to take down a recently occupied bait hive than one that has been left in place until the weight of the honey and the population of the bees have in signi increased significantly. The key sign of occupancy of bee flight is bee flight around the entrance. However, such activity may merely indicate that the hive is being investigated by scout bees. The surest sign that a swarm has moved in is incoming bees carrying load, loads of pollen. Home-seeking scouts do not carry pollen. Not all the bees collect pollen, however, and at certain times of the year in certain localities there may be a dearth of pollen. Also, a colony with 2,000 to 5,000 bees may show a marked little activity at the hive entrance. Another useful extinct, uh, distinction between scouts from a swarm and foragers from a colony that has taken up residence is the pattern of flight around the hive. Bees scouting a potential nest site move repeatedly in and out of the entrance and sometimes taking short flights but returning again and again for further inspections of the interior. Most foragers, in contrast, either leave the entrance quickly or stand there for a while, rapidly groom themselves, and then fly off directly. Sometimes, especially in the early afternoon, bees leaving an occupied hive are young bees taking orientation flights and they trace widening figure eight patterns in the air. Taking down a bait hive. Consider safety when bringing down bulky hive. It is not an easy object to carry on a ladder. An occupied hive may weigh as much as 60 to 80 pounds, 27 to 36 kilograms. In some areas, bait hives get heavy 
early in the season when there is a good honey flow. If nectar is abundant and the colony can harvest several pounds of honey in a single day, even a hive without much stored honey can contain many pounds of adult bees and brood. A beekeeper can approach and handle an occupied hive as he or she would have any other colony, but there are special considerations because of the awkwardness of working on a ladder. Placing the ladder against a tree and climbing it may arouse guard bees and make them more likely to attack you before you can smoke the entrance. A smoker should be lit and ready before the ladder is placed against the tree. It may be possible to draw the smoke up from below and drift it into the entrance, therefore approaching the hive, but it is usually difficult to do effectively. Climb the ladder with care and keep vibrations to a minimum and smoke the bait hive entrance quickly. It is important to tie an occupied bait hive in place carefully with its rope before removing the nails that hold it to the tree or other object. Use one end of the rope to secure the hive and place the other end around the limb where the hive and tie the ladder. Remove the nails then untie the end of the rope attached to the ladder and allow the hive to slide gently down one of the side rails of the ladder and or let the hive hang free of the ladder and slowly lower it to the ground. Remember that the new comb is weak, lacking the old cocoons and propolis that strengthen the old comb. It is especially susceptible to damage without wired frames and woodenware present in a hive. If a comb is broken as a bait hive, it is lowered into the as it is lowered into the ground, there is a danger of killing bees and losing honey. Honey dripping from the bait hive causes a mess and when the nectar is scarce, they may may cause robbing. To avoid breaking comb, keep the bait hive right side up while lowering it to the ground. Problems may be minimized if the bait hive is made from a super and is provided with woodenware frames holding the strips of foundation for comb building. After the bait hive has been taken down, it can be transported to a napier. Screening the entrance facilitates the moving operation. Attach the screening and the time when darkness, cool temperatures, or rain keeps the bees inside the hive. First, generally smoke the entrance and any bees clustered on the outside of the hive. Carefully smoked bees should crawl into the hive and then use duct tape to fasten wire screening over the entrance. Nails or tacks can also be used, but hammering stirs up the bees. Eight mesh hardware cloth is a good type of screening to use. Ordinarily, Ordinary fly screening has 12 to 14 wires per inch, is also satisfactory but not as strong. The screening should be removed as soon as possible after the bees are in their new location. Under no circumstances should a hive remain screened all day, especially if it is exposed to sun. Because overheating can kill a colony with a closed entrance, bees cannot regulate the temperature. Screening must be undertaken with caution. Bait hive entrances are small and ventilation is limited in a hive filled with bees, brood, and food. The excited bees may generate so much heat that the combs begin to soften and break and the bees begin to suffocate. Moving the bees in the cool of the early morning helps prevent these problems, but sometimes other approaches are also necessary. Migratory beekeepers moving large numbers of colonies rarely screen individual hives. They generally close or they generally use closed refrigerated trucks or open trucks in which large net or screen may 
screen the whole entire load. Each colony entrance is left open so that the bees can cluster outside their entrance if necessary, reducing the mass of bees inside the hive prevents it from overheating. An occupied bait hive, as it were, Yes, an occupied bait hive is lacking movable frames. It is illegal as a permanent hive in most states. This is because adequate inspection for disease is impossible. In addition, such a hive is inefficient. All captured swarms should be transferred into movable uh, frame hives. Transfer, transferal must be done early enough in the season that a colony has time to support uh, store sufficient pollen and honey for its winter food. The most or the first of August in the northern states is probably the latest appropriate date and even that date may be risky. Little can be done with the bait hive later on in the season except to feed it as well as possible place it on a hive stand. Provide some winter protection and hope it survives until the bees can be moved to a permanent hive in the spring. There are several ways to carry out a transfer. If the swarm is built little or no comb, remove the top and bottom of the bait hive and dump the bees unceremoniously into the front of an unoccupied standard hive with drawn combs or frames. With foundation, occasionally bees reject such a home, but including a frame with even a small amount of brood greatly increases the chance of acceptance. Bees are much likely are less likely to abandon a new home if they are hived in light rain or in the evening. Direct sunlight, dampness, the odor of new wood and paint and other physical disturbances sometimes prompt a swarm to abscond. If a swarm doesn't leave the hive, it usually settles nearby in a bush or tree and you may try to rehive it in, a, in the same manner. Bees have rejected a hive once they may accept it on the second try. A bait hive in which the bees have built significant comb should be handled differently. Well-established bees are much more reluctant to leave and the brood and food stores represent a valuable resource that should be preserved if possible. If the bait hive has been supplied with wooden frames and comb that has been built in them, the transfer is easy. Otherwise, a fairly simple method is to place the bait hive on a hive stand, remove the top or bottom if you've turned the bait hive upside down, and place the super empty combs on top. This is especially convenient if the bait hive itself is a super or has the same dimensions as one. The bees expand their home into the upper super and as it is natural for the brood nest to develop upward. Check the upper super for brood in a week or two if it contains eggs. Uh, place a queen excluder between the two units with the hope that the queen is in the upper one. Check the upper one again after three days. If there are eggs, the queen is there. If there are not, remove the excluder for a few days and repeat the process. After the queen has been confined to the upper super for 24 days, no brood will be left in the combs below because no new eggs will have been laid and the worker and drone brood will have hatched. Place the upper super on a bottom board and transfer it 
transfer is complete. Then harvest the wax comb from the bait hive for rendering and rinse off any spoiled honey. The bait hive is ready to reuse. A small remnants of beeswax and propolis from the previous use will make the bait hive more attractive. A method of speeding up transfer is to use drumming. A century-old practice used to remove bees from straw skeps and boxes place in a new super of comb above the bait hive. The new super must have a cover as the bees will not drum into an open box. Then using hands or lightweight rubber hammer beat rhythmically on the side If moderately slow, steady beat is maintained, the bees should abandon the hive, leaving the brood behind, and march upward in an orderly manner. Drum bees do not become angry, but become, or but the outset of drumming always smoke a colony carefully. Still, another method of transferring bees from a bait hive is to remove the cover, cut the combs from the hive one by one, and shake the bees into a super of drawn comb. This method causes much alarm and the air may be filled with angry and confused bees. Bees adopt a new hive more rapidly if it contains a frame with some brood. If the queen can be found encaged in the new hive, her presence will attract calm and calm the bees. This system should not be used when there are co other colonies in the immediate vicinity. When bees are transferred from bait hives to the comb, there is a choice of discarding the brood or comb, saving some by cutting is and tying it into a frame is an option. Saving comb is not easy, but it can be done, and the easiest method is to lay several pieces of string parallel on a flat table, place a wooden frame down without wires over the string, and put large pieces of comb in the frame. Be sure to place the comb in an upright position as it was in the bait hive, then tie the comb to the frame. Use cotton string as the bees can chew it apart and remove it from the hive in a few days. In the long run, they are usually discarded in the favor of better built wire combs. Their advantage is that young bees from the brood comb may be saved in this manner and bolster the colony population. Keeping the brood in the new hive aids in preventing absconding. Some captured swarms may be undesirable additions to an apiary and they may be well from the stock.